Father in heaven, God, we're, we're not entering into a time where it's about my words. God, I pray that you would wipe my name from the history books, Lord, that it would be your name and your name alone. God, that we would read and see and hear from you this morning. Holy Spirit, would you use my mouth as your mouthpiece, Lord? Would you use your words to convict our hearts, to challenge us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to motivate us? Spirit, you are so powerful in the moving through the reading and teaching and proclamation of your holy word. And and we ask, God, that you would move now. That even now, Lord, you would speak to us. Hold our attention to your word. God, we thank you for who you are and for how you love us. We ask that you speak to us now as we, your children, as humbly as we know how, sit at your feet and listen. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to be taking some time to look in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the New Testament epistle, the New Testament letter of Ephesians. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Before we get to this passage this morning, as you are finding it in your own copy of Scripture. If you don't have your Bible with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take one of the ones in the back of the pew with you as our gift to you. We will replenish them, and it will be a joy and an honor for you to take that as your gift. Or you can find this on your phone or your tablet, or if you just prefer, you can follow along on the screen. Um, Before we get to the reading of God's Word, we're jumping into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15, through chapter 6, verse 4. What we're going to find here are some really important instructions on living, really important instructions on the best way to structure our household, the way to structure our most intimate and important of relationships between husbands and wives, between children and parents. But I want us to know that as we go into these instructions on how to live, that Paul has spent the first part of the book of Ephesians talking about what salvation is and how salvation is accomplished. So what I don't want for us to hear this morning in any way, in any shape, in any form, do not hear that this is the way to be saved. That if you do not fit what is described here, then you must not be saved. In the first couple of chapters, Paul is very explicit that salvation is by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is how we are saved. Not because we can do enough righteous deeds. Not because we can be good enough to be acceptable to the Lord. No, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. It is eternal separation from God and His goodness in heaven for all eternity. The only way to overcome that is through faith in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what will happen, what is natural, is that if you believe that, if that grace has captivated your heart and your life, 
your life will incrementally begin to look different. It is not always a night and day change. It's not as though you were doing all of these terrible sins and then you trust in Jesus and every sin you ever committed is left behind you and you never sin again. That's not how salvation works. There's a process called sanctification. It's a really fancy church word that just means the process of being set apart. And so day by day, we grow in to our salvation. We grow in sanctification. We are justified the moment we believe, and then we are sanctified throughout the rest of our lives. We become more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world, but that is a lifelong process. So... What we find here in Ephesians 5 is how to live out that process. These are some details of how our lives will look different in comparison to those who don't believe in the grace of Jesus. That don't believe that the one and only Heavenly Father sent His one and only begotten Son. Sacrificed His Son for our sake. A Father who loved and still loves His Son. A son who was willing to give up his position of prominence to take on our ugly, nasty, murky, miry flesh and to live a perfect life and to die on our behalf. That is the gospel. Once we believe in that gospel, here are some things that ought to change in our lives over time. So, with that in mind, I want us to keep that thought in the back of our minds as we look through this Scripture. If through all that time you have not found your place in Scripture, then I'll be glad to help you find your place. But if you have found your place, please stand with me if you're physically able out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word. We are in Ephesians in the New Testament. Make your way through the Gospels. You'll find when you hit Galatians the general electric power cooperative and uh, we're in the electric of that. This is an electric book, if you will. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll be beginning in verse 15. The word of the Lord says, Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I don't know about you and your growth in the church. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Maybe this is your first time to ever tune into a church service online or to be present in a church service. But here's the rundown of how Mother's Day and Father's Day usually go in Southern Baptist churches that I have been a part of. On Mother's Day, we go, oh... Moms are just so great. Doesn't everybody just love their mom? Moms are just fantastic. Moms do everything for their kids. They're just so awesome. They make these sacrifices. They deserve all this honor. And all those things are very true. But then Mother's Day is like this special elevated holiday. If you Google most popular holidays in the United States, Mother's Day falls right behind Christmas. Like it is number two on the list. But if you try to find Father's Day, you just keep scrolling for a little while. It may be down there behind Arbor Day or Flag Day or or something like that. So when Father's Day rolls around, we go, you dirty dogs, you no good, low dying, terrible daddies. I tell you what, you ain't worth nothing. You ain't worth a plug nickel and you know it. I tell you, you better man up. You better do something different. You better lead your family. I tell you, you've been doing wrong all your life. I've heard countless Sermons And listen, there's enough deadbeat dads in the world that those sermons are good and necessary at times. But we get into this pattern of one and the other back to back. Mamas are always praised. Daddies are always challenged. Mamas are always praised. Daddies are always challenged. So on this Father's Day, I don't want to fall into that pattern where we say, hey, dads, y'all have been doing a terrible job. Let's talk about how Scripture is telling us how you're awful. That's, that's not the goal. Let me also say that as every category we walk through this morning dictates, I'm going to be focusing on what the Word of the Lord says about being a husband, being a wife, being a father, being a child. But what I'm not going to do is tell you from my personal experience, because I'm a pretty good husband. Let me just tell you right now, I got this husband thing figured out. My wife, she submits, and I'm going to tell you how you you women, you wives ought to be submitting, because my wife's a submissive woman. I'm the perfect dad. I got it all figured out. I'm going to tell y'all how to be good daddies. 
That's not what's happening this morning. You could come and spend an hour in our household and see very clearly that as a husband, I have many flaws. As a father, I am far from perfect. This is the standard. This is not my reality, but these are the standards. This is what we are to strive for. That's why it's so important for us to remember that as we're striving for this, there is still grace and mercy that we are saved by grace through faith, that it is a process. Let me guarantee each and every one of us, myself included, here this morning something. You may strive with all your might to be a great husband, a great wife, a great mom, a great dad, a great child, but I guarantee you, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your children, your relationship with your parents is going to be messed up in its own special, unique way. If you're a parent here this morning, I want to assure you that you may be striving so hard not to mess up your kids the way that your parents messed you up, and you may be successful in that. But guess what? You're going to mess them up in another way. All of us are going to fall short. All of us are going to have difficulties in our marital relationships. All of us are going to have difficulties as parents. All of us are going to have difficulties as children. I know this because we live in a fallen world. And until sin is no longer present from our lives and our relationships, we're going to keep being sinners. Maybe we sin less. Maybe we look more like Jesus as we live. But at some point, we're going to mess up and we're going to sin. And that sin is going to infiltrate into every relationship we have. And so there are no such things as perfect fathers, perfect mothers. The only perfect parent is God the Father. God himself is the only perfect parent. And in his grace, in his mercy, he has described to us what familial relationships should look like. So let's look together at these scriptures. We won't take long. I know we're already late into the service. I know everybody's going to be hungry. But bear with me. Don't tune out. Stay with me. Let's run through these. Verse 15. From verse 15 to verse 21 in Greek, that's one sentence. Paul got a little bit happy. And he didn't, must not have had a proofreader or anybody coming along going, Paul, this isn't technically a run-on sentence, brother, but I'm telling you, put a period down somewhere and help us out. I mean, he starts in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. See, we get a period and do not get drunk with wine. That's still the same sentence in Greek. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the Lord with your heart and giving thanks to the Father always, to the God, the Son, and Father, Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence Christ. You can't do it in one breath. You can't do it, okay? It's a sentence should be like a phrase, right? You should be able to say it in one breath without having to read like the radio disclaimers, right? No representation is made to the quality of service provided. It's better than the quality of service provided by any other lawyer. Like we shouldn't have to read verses 15 to 21 that quickly just to be able to get it all out in one breath. But that's how Paul wrote it. So again, I want to remind us what we thought about and looked at last week. Matthew chapter 6 is structured in a very specific way. These verses are structured in a very specific way. Everything that he talks about in verse 15 applies as you work your way down through the sentence. And then what's beautiful is verse 21 launches us into verses 22 through chapter 6 verse 4. Verse 21, it says, "...submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? How are we supposed to submit to one another? I'm glad you asked. That's where verse 22 picks up. Paul is setting the stage for this is what mutual submission looks like in the church. It looks like households that are structured in this way. Wives, husbands, children, parents. It moves on into bond servants and slaves and goes further into the entire household structure. This is what mutual submission looks like. But all of it is flavored by verse 15. Verse 15. Look Carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Have you guys ever been in that Christian conversation where maybe you were younger and and you were talking about something that was kind of on the border of maybe it's okay, maybe it's not okay, it's kind of becoming culturally more acceptable. So that conversation for me was about tattoos. When I was young and I was going into seminary, I wanted a tattoo of a Bible verse. I wanted a tattoo of a Hebrew word. I was learning Hebrew. I thought it was going to be the coolest thing to have a Hebrew tattoo. I was going to have this Greek tattoo on another arm. I had all these places picked out. I was going to save up money and get a tattoo. And my mom and dad pulled me aside and I said, oh, no, no, I'm ready for you. I got all my ammo in all my pockets from all these verses. I got my Old Testament versus New Testament lined up and ready. If you want to talk to me about how it is a sin to get a tattoo. I'm ready to defend my stance. Y'all ever gotten ready to do something like that with with something? Maybe it was tattoos for you. Maybe it was something else. But you got a spiritual overseer, somebody who's more mature in the faith than you. And you're having this conversation about, is it right or is it not right? And, And what do we come back to a lot of times? I was ready to have that conversation with my parents. And they didn't go that route at all. They They didn't take that at all. My dad sat me down. He opened up his Bible. He looked at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. I'd looked at a lot of verses, y'all. I had a bunch written down. I was ready. My daddy knows his scripture. My daddy's been a godly daddy my whole life. And he was going to sit me down, and I was ready for every scripture he could throw at me. And he said, let's turn to Ephesians. I went, that wasn't one of the ones I wrote down. (laughs) What are you doing? I'm ready for you. Why are you throwing a curveball? He was always two or three steps ahead. Never beat him in chess. Not a single time because he was always two or three steps ahead. And he read verse 15. He said, Nathan, I just want to read this to you from the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. I just want to ask you, son, you've, you've said you want to go into ministry. You've said you want to be a spiritual shepherd for a flock of God's people. Do you think that it is wise or unwise to get a tattoo and have to answer that question for every church member that ever walks up to you? I said, well, I guess I'll just go spend my money on something else, Dad. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good job. You can have this list of verses I looked up. That's just if you ever wanted to research something about tattoos, there you go. Is it? Is it? Legal or illegal? Is it is it right? Is it wrong? Should I have a drink? Should I not have a drink? Should I consume alcohol or should I not consume alcohol? Are you are you going to cause somebody to stumble by publicly drinking alcohol? Is it wise for you to be seen drinking alcohol? Is that going to cause somebody else to stumble or is it not? Is it a wise move in your walk or is it not? Do you see how everything is flavored by the introduction Paul gives in verse 15? He talks about being drunk with wine. He talks about being filled with the Spirit. He talks about 
being submissive to one another. Then it moves into verse 22, and it it talks about walking wisely as a wife. A wise and godly way to live and relate to your husband as a wife is that of submission. Now, I want you to pay close attention to the word in verse 22 that says submit. Now, I want you to go with me to chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1, it says, children, obey. Children, obey. Verse 22, wives, submit. Verse 1, children, obey. Those two Greek words are very different Greek words. Ephesians Paul, the Holy Spirit, God himself is not telling wives to obey the same way that children are commanded to obey. Wives are to be submissive and wives are to be submissive to their own husband. This is not a statement that says all women should be submissive to all men because men are greater than women. Men and women are equal in value in the sight of the Lord. God created man and woman both in his image. Men and women complement one another in a way that reflects God's image and are equal in value. This is not a statement that every woman should submit to every man, but every wife should be submissive to her own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, my favorite analogy for this, and you know that analogies break down, okay? So don't try and carry it out to the nth degree. But God's the coach. Whether you like it or not, God is the coach. So you're out there on the field of life, and you're playing. And I like football, so we're going to roll with football. If you don't like sports analogies, I'm very sorry. It's my wheelhouse. It's all I've got. So bear with me. And you'll notice that on the football field, there's always somebody out there with a big C on the offense and the defense. they got a, they got a captain. When things start to go crazy on the field, the coach is over there on the sidelines. We ain't got time to run to the sidelines and ask the coach what to do. So who do we look to? We look to the captain. A lot of times on a football field, it's the quarterback. Not always, but a lot of times it's the quarterback. And so when the quarterback is on the field and he sees something on the defensive end of the ball that the coach did not call for or expect, what does the quarterback have the leeway to do? Call an audible. Hey, 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 Omaha, Omaha. I don't know if they really say Omaha. I've always imagined that they say Omaha. When I was in high school, they said Omaha. But if they said Omaha, that meant, listen up, we're changing the play. And we're changing the play on the fly. And you're going, whoa, 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 this is not what the coach said to do. But if everybody on the team doesn't immediately get behind the quarterback and say, okay, the quarterback called for an audible, we're going to go with what the quarterback says. And when the coach says, why did you not do the block this way? I'm going to go with your captain. The one you put in charge told me to change the play. And I obeyed my captain. I submitted to my captain and I changed the play. That's the image of submission. The husband is not the coach. God's the coach. The husband may get the privileged position of being the captain of the team. And the wife may look to the captain for the final say-so of what will we do. The husband is the head in position. The husband is not more valuable. The position is different. The value is equal. Somebody that is hired to come and clean this church does a magnificent job. We love her dearly. 
And she is just as valuable in the kingdom of God as anyone else sitting in this sanctuary. But she's not the one who stands up here preaching. My role is different than hers. But we are equal in importance and equal in value. Just because we have different roles does not lessen or diminish her value or mine. I am not more valuable than anyone sitting in this room just because I'm standing up on a stage behind a pulpit. But this is the role to which God and you as a church have appointed me. So this is the role that I will fulfill. The role that God has appointed to husbands is to be the team captain. The role that the Lord has appointed to wives is to be submissive. Equal in value and submissive to their own husbands. And husbands, I think you can relate. Somebody else who's another man comes up to you and interrupts your wife while she's talking to you and says, Hey, be quiet, woman. I got to tell this man something. Buddy, I I don't know about y'all. This might just be a Nathan thing. Maybe this is just a sinful Nathan thing because I I don't see a lot of nodding heads. But if some other man comes up and diminishes and disrespects my wife because he thinks he's more important than her because he's a man and she's a woman, interrupts her speaking to me so that they can tell me they're more important thing because they're a man. I'm going to talk to you man to man. Buddy, we're about to come to blows. You're going to disrespect my wife like that in public. No, no, no. My wife isn't submissive to you as another man. My wife is submissive to me as her husband. I'm the head of our family. And I think sometimes our culture has run amok with that. And we have these strong reactions against that, that all women must be submissive to all men. That's not what we're told. Wives should be submissive to their own husbands. Submissive as you are submissive to a team captain, not submissive in the same way that a child obeys the commands of a parent. That all happens in a mutually reciprocating relationship. What that means is while wives are being that submissive, husbands are loving our wives. Okay, yeah, I love her. I love her. I bought her flowers on Valentine's Day. You ought to know, I love her. I love her. That's good, I love her. How she know you love her today? What would you do today to let her know you love her? Let's, let's get into the description. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Okay, I think I could do that. that. That seems easy enough. And gave himself up for her. Now we're getting a little tricky. Now we're getting a little sticky. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. You're there in Ephesians. Go back. Go, go forward, sorry. General Electric Power Company. Turn to chapter 2. How did Christ give himself up for the church? How did Christ give himself up for the church? How am I supposed to love my wife? How am I supposed to be a good husband to my wife? Well, let's pick up in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. This is how Christ loved the church, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Ooh, that's that tough word, right? Obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, emptying himself, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but taking the form of a servant. I don't understand, preacher. You just told me I'm the team captain. How am I going to be the team captain and be a servant that empties myself and pours out my life? Aha. 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 You found it. You're there. Jesus came. How did he lead the disciples? He washed their feet. He humiliated himself. He lowered himself. He gave himself up. So wait a minute, so you're telling me that i got to love my wife that sacrificially? I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you I even do that very well. I'm telling you that's what God tells those of us who want to say we love Jesus and we're going to follow Jesus. That's what our lives are supposed to look like. And I, I want to tell you something. If you want to measure how good or bad of a father you are, you can't get there till you measure how good or bad of a husband you are you and I might be. You want to measure how well you're doing as a mother? That starts with how well are you doing as a wife. That's why it starts with wives and husbands. Do you notice that husbands get a much bigger chunk of instructions? You notice that husbands are second in the list. Sometimes we husbands think that we deserve respect. For a whole variety of reasons. But I wonder, if you were to look at your life in as unbiased of a way as possible, have you earned the respect you demand? Have I earned the respect of my wife? And there have been so many wonderful books that center on verse 33. Husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Wives, can I tell you that this might seem strange. I want you to chew on this for a while. But your husband desires your respect more than your love. Husbands, I'm going to tell you this and and it may seem a bit strange to you. Your wife desires your love more than your respect. And it's not a magic switch. It's not this, whoop, she knows I love her. I flipped the switch. I never have to do anything again. I married her. Wearing my ring. She knows I love her. Every day, every day, the switch is reset. Sometimes multiple times a day, the switch gets reset. And you just got to say, I love you. Send a text with a smiley face. Be mushy-gushy. Walt said he's romantic. Just ask him how to do these kind of things. All right? Just... Something that reminds them, I'm thinking of you, I love you. A heart emoji, an I love you, a smoochy smoochy face, a little note on the mirror, a sticky note in their car. Fill their car with gas. Serve them in simple, loving ways that remind them constantly, oh man, he still loves me. Wives, show your husband respect. Your respect equates to love to him. In your mind, you're thinking, well, he ought to know that I love him because I'm doing so many lovey-dovey things for him. 
That don't work. Men's brains work different. They don't work real great all the time. But when our brains are working, we desire respect and we don't even know it. It's a subconscious thing. And there'll be so many things that undercut our feeling of being respected as the team captain. But men, it goes both ways. Do you see? If we're loving our wives sacrificially the way that God and Christ Jesus has loved the church, giving himself up for the church, then our women and our lives, our wives will respect us for the way that we love them. They will feel loved. We will feel respected and life won't be perfect. But man, it's going to be easier. It's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship. And you know who's going to benefit the most from that? Verse 6. Verse 1, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So often fathers end up in verse 4 provoking our children to anger because our children don't respect us, because our wives don't respect us. Because every Father's Day we come up here and go, y'all guys are awful. Y'all ain't got a clue how to be a daddy. Step up, men. Lead your family. If you ain't having a devotion three times a day with your children, then you are failing as a father. It's time to step up and do something. We disrespect fathers from the pulpit. We disrespect fathers in the home. We disrespect fathers because our wives are modeling that simple, subtle disrespect. So the children model the simple, subtle disrespect. So then we, in turn, as sinners, provoke our children to anger because we feel disrespected and we demand the respect of our children and we demand the respect of our wives and our relationships are falling apart. That's why Paul structures it the way that he does. That's why it's here. As we live, look carefully how we walk. Let's not live in relationships and be unwise. Let us be wise. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So turn to Ephesians. Husbands, figure out what God's telling us to do on how to love our wives. Wives, figure out what God is telling us to do to respect our husbands. Don't provoke our children to anger. And children, obey. That's not the submit word. That's the obey word. Your parents never have to ask you, hey, would you please, uh, maybe if you get time, if you could think about it, would you possibly go clean your room just up a little bit, just tidy it up some? They brought you into this world. They're due your honor and respect. They can say, go, clean, now. That is right. They are your parents. They have that authority. All of this is instruction on how to manage and live in a household for Christ wisely. This is the standard. But I've already told you, we all fall short of the glorious standard. We have all sinned and we are all sinners. So we strive for this as imperfectly as we do. And God will help us along the way. But sometimes in our marriages, sometimes as moms, sometimes as dads, sometimes as kids, we lose our way and we we don't understand what's going on with my family. Why is there such chaos? And it's because maybe in that season of life we have wandered so far from this model, from this standard. There's a lot of great dads in this church. 
who are doing a wonderful job. May God bless you. There's a lot of great moms in this church doing a great job. A lot of wonderful godly husbands and a lot of wonderful godly wives. But there's still plenty of us who are way off from this standard. And we need a reminder this morning of what it looks like for our households to walk in wisdom. So, how are you walking at home? Husbands, wives, how are y'all relating to one another? Children, how are you relating to your parents? Maybe specifically to your father this Father's Day weekend. Parents, are you provoking your children to anger? What does walking wise look like in your household? And I I want you to know it's impossible to hold this standard up, especially if you've never trusted in Jesus. Husbands, you and I can't love our wives like Christ loved the church if we don't know Christ. And so where we started is where we'll finish. Do you know and trust Jesus? Have you accepted by grace through faith his death, burial, and resurrection? So that our lives might be a lot more like Ephesians 5. And a lot less like the craziness and chaos we see in the world today. Where do you stand? Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your love, for your mercy. We thank you for giving us a description of what a godly household looks like of how we relate to one another in godly relationships as spouses, as parents, as children. Lord, I pray that you would inspire and encourage us to follow hard after you, to model our lives like the example you have written out for us in your word. God, if there are any who have not begun that relationship with you, and that's why they cannot model What you have described, I pray that you would draw them unto yourself this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.